Enjoy the game by Lionel Burney. Chapter 11 The Management. The balance and symmetry of the coaching and management team Graham Taylor assembled was wonderful. They were all different personalities, but they shared the same core traits and blended together perfectly. Bertie Mee may have had the tallest chair in the little staff room under the main stand, Watford's equivalent of the Liverpool boot room, but Taylor was the undisputable leader. John Ward and Steve Harrison were brought back into the fold just as Watford were about to tackle the first division. It was with a heavy heart that Taylor had released them from the playing staff in May 1981. Looking to push for promotion, he knew they would not figure in the first team, and Taylor's view was that the reserves was a place for youngsters coming through, not older players slipping backwards. Harrison knew his time was up. He was fighting a losing battle with his knee injury, and had slipped behind Keith Pritchett and Kenny Jackett in the pecking order. A game against West Ham had highlighted that he was reading the game better than he was playing it. Harrison had been named substitute, and he spent the first half shouting advice to Jacket, who was up against the Hammers right winger Bobby Barnes. Don't dive in. Stand up and make him think. In the second half, Harrison replaced Nigel Callahan, slotting in at left back as Jacket moved into midfield. The first time Barnes got the ball, what do I do? he says. I went diving in on me backside. I missed the ball, missed the player. Taylor was shouting at Harrison, pointing at Jacket. What did you say to him, eh? Don't dive in, you said. Flaming hell. Harrison's last game was a 2-1 win over Notts County. I'm still useful, he said to the manager, a glint in his eye. But he knew what was coming. A few days after the season ended, Taylor called him into the office. Sit down, Steve, said Taylor. He never ever called me Harry, like everyone else, says Harrison. It was always Steve, or Stephen if he was really annoyed. "'What's this then, Gaffer? "'New contract? Thanks very much,' Harrison said. "'Um, well, not quite.' "'It wasn't a happy day for him. "'But I said I'd really enjoyed it "'and I'd been honoured to captain his team. "'I told him he was making a mistake "'giving me a free transfer, "'but he was dead right "'because I only played about three games for Charlton.' Harrison went down onto the pitch for a last look at Vicarage Road. When he turned round, he saw Taylor watching him from the office window. It was a moment touched with poignancy, as if they both knew it was au revoir rather than adieu. John Ward was tiling his kitchen when he got the call to say his contract was not being renewed. I never did put those final four tiles on the wall, he says. I was disappointed. I kept an eye on their results as they were going for promotion because I really hoped they'd make it, but I was a little bit sad because I wished I was part of it. After a year away, Ward and Harrison were back. Taylor's coach, Sam Ellis, decided he wanted to try his hand at management with Blackpool. Watford placed an advert for a new coach in the Daily Mail and both Ward and Harrison saw it. Harrison arrived suited and booted for his interview. Graham made a comment. But I said that first impressions count, he says. He told me he was giving the job to Wardy, and I had to accept he was making the right choice. 
Before I left, he said he might have something for me. He asked if I wanted to be Tom Wally's assistant. I got the impression there wasn't really a job there, but that he was creating something because he wanted me around the place. As Taylor's new first-team coach, Ward saw a different side to the manager. I learned that he was not the dictator the players thought he was. He came across as quite serious in public, but I know him as a very funny, sociable guy with a very good sense of humour. One night he invited me round to his house and we sat in the little office in his loft and talked about football for hours. He showed me all his match analysis work and explained how goals were scored and why he set all those targets. As a player, I knew what we'd done, but I didn't fully understand why we'd done it. Now Graham was choosing to share all that with me and I felt so privileged. On the training ground, the sessions for the players were kept quite simple, but the eye for detail that went into the work behind it was incredible. Ward also ran the reserve team, which had developed into one of the strongest in the south of England, regularly finishing above Tottenham and Arsenal in the league. Taylor once said he felt Watford's reserve team would cope in the fourth division. Ward and Harrison loved to be around Bertie Mee. They would ask him about the Arsenal double-winning team and sit down with the beaming expectancy of a child being told a bedtime story. They hung on every word. Mee usually did not volunteer his anecdotes or advice unprompted and would usually only offer his opinion if asked. When the reserves beat Arsenal 1-0 at Highbury, Ward was as pleased as punch. "'How's the reserve team manager's ego this morning?' me asked him on the Monday morning. "'Oh, not too bad, thanks, Bertie,' Ward replied a little warily. "'Good result you had at the weekend, winning away at Arsenal.' By now Ward was wondering what was coming. "'You do realise that the job of the reserve team manager is to get players ready for the first team?' "'Oh, yes, I do.' but I like to get them into the winning habit. That's got to be good, hasn't it? Well, let's go through your team and see how many players you can offer to the manager for selection for Saturday's first team, shall we? Me said. He was giving me a bit of a grilling about the players, but we went through, and I had to admit I had one, maybe. Bertie had put me in my place and pricked the ego I'd had ten minutes earlier, and he was absolutely right. He made sure I wasn't getting carried away. The mix of personalities worked perfectly. If Wally was strict, Taylor was stricter. Harrison and Ward were complete opposites, but they worked so well together. Harrison was a defender, Ward was an attacker. At the end-of-season cabaret evenings the players and management would put on for the supporters at Bailey's nightclub, Harrison would clown about and Ward would be the straight man. Sometimes Harrison would overdo the messing around and Taylor had to tell him enough was enough, but in general the manager liked a bit of comic relief every now and then to lighten the mood if things were getting a bit serious. The two coaches were the buffer between the players and the manager. They'd listen to the moans and groans sympathetically and then tell them to buckle down and get on with it. They weren't well paid, certainly not by today's standards, but they were totally committed. Everyone was so positive because we believed in what we were doing, says John Ward. The blend was terrific. Tom liked to bet on the horses. Steve would go along to try to win a few quid, but I didn't have a clue. Billy Hales, the physio, was very calm, quiet and placid, but he took things in his stride. We had these fantastic meals before every cup tie. At one, we had to wear batiks because we'd been to Thailand. Other times we had an airline meal or fish and chips. Steve would tell jokes and make us laugh. Billy's wife Jean would sing. It sounds very simple, but those nights are something I treasure, and we knew that if we won, 
we'd be having another one. It was more than a full-time job. The coaching staff clocked up thousands of miles a year in the club's Fiat Panda, which they nicknamed the Twin Tub, after a bulky tabletop washing machine that was popular at the time. They travelled up and down the country in it, watching opposition teams or scouting players. The only one who didn't drive it was the assistant physio, Pat Malloy, who had his own three-wheeled van. Pat were a great character, says Harrison. We used to tease him. One day we picked up his van and put it on the centre spot on the pitch at Vicarage Road, and he was storming around saying someone had nicked it. Taylor felt the players should clean their own boots. At most other clubs, that was a job for the apprentices, but at Watford, the apprentices cleaned only the coaching staff's boots. As Brian Talbot says, I didn't have a problem with that. I thought it was good. If you're a carpenter or a plumber, you look after your tools and you respect them. It's the same for a footballer. It was a simple thing, but it set the tone for everything else. And woe betide if your boots were dirty at the start of a session. Occasionally Taylor would spring a surprise on the players, to keep them from settling into a groove and stagnating. One day in late March he wrote on the notice board where he pinned information about the week's training sessions or other activities. April the 1st. Walk in the woods. Bring your dogs, if you have one. We'll walk to Casbury Park and then through Whippendale Woods, stopping for lunch at the Rosen Crown in Chorley Wood Common, then walk back to Vicarage Road. I came in with my big red setter, Ben, and I bring him into the dressing room and said, Come on then, let's go, says Taylor. Half of them were already in their kit for training and didn't know if it was a joke or not. A few weren't sure, but some of them had brought their dogs in and had them in the car. Simsy had brought his dog. We went for the walk, had the lunch and came back and that was our day. The staff would meet regularly and Taylor would listen to how everyone was getting on. They'd chew over the problems and thrash out the solutions in their little staff room. I learned a very valuable lesson from Graham once about coping with change and adapting when you had injuries, says Harrison. We were preparing for a game and Nigel Callaghan went down with a hamstring. We knew he'd missed the game and we were discussing the various options. We were all sat round the table, having a cup of tea, diving into the big aluminium tin of custard creams in the middle. Tom was getting a bit agitated about it, saying, Well, what are you going to do now, eh? You've lost Callie, boy. There's a problem, isn't it? Who's going to play on the right wing now, hmm? Graham reached for a custard cream, paused and said calmly, Well, somebody else, Tom. Somebody else. End of chapter 11 Next time, the Hornets go top of the league for the first, and so far, only time. <laughs>